0: I'm Monica Olson and I'm Jennifer Walsh and you're listening to the biophilic solutions podcast where every other week we sit down with experts and thought leaders across industries in order to explore the innate connection between humans and nature and why we need
1: nature to thrive. We truly believe that in order to tackle the global environmental problems we're facing, we as humans must reconnect to the natural world and come to a better understanding of how we fit in and how we are so interconnected. So in every episode, we'll interview new guests that help us uncover and highlight nature-based solutions to get us on a path to greater health, tackling climate change, and ultimately getting outside and connecting with nature. So let's get to today's episode. Hey, Monica. Hey, Jennifer. So Monica, today we're talking about something called biodesign, which is basically incorporating the use of organic materials and organisms in the design process. The goal of Biodesign is to create products and materials that are plant-friendly and compostable and that don't rely on fossil fuels.
0: Yes, and we're exploring biodesign with our good friend, Dr. Karen Pearson, who's a professor of chemistry and chair of the science and mathematics department at the Fashion Institute of Technology. Karen also serves as the chair of FIT's Sustainability Council, plans the annual sustainability and business conference, and, you know, Jen and I got to speak there last March.
1: Yes. And in case it's not impressive enough, Karen is also the recipient of the President's Award for Curricular Innovation and has been acknowledged as one of the top 100 most influential women in STEM. I really would like that title and I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: long story- we'll leave that to Karen. We'll leave that to Karen. <laughs> long story short, she knows her stuff. So in this episode, we talked to Karen all about the intersection of science and design the innovative work being done by FIT students and faculty, and talk about some amazing examples of biodesign in action.
1: Okay, so let's get to our interview with Karen Pearson.
0: Karen, we are so excited to finally have you on the podcast. We've had so much time together in person, and I had the pleasure of interviewing you at the Biophilic Leadership Summit, but here we are doing the full FIT chemistry thing. Go.
1: (laughs) no pressure Karen no pressure at all
2: I was gonna say there's no pressure right well it's so exciting to be here both with you and with Jennifer and to talk a little bit more about what we're doing here at FIT and also kind of yes how a chemist lands in this space of both sustainability and very much in that space and how FIT fits into that space as well
1: Fantastic! We are thrilled, like Monica just said. So, even though that we're not in person, even though we're on Zoom, we're so happy to see your face and really dive into. Because I learned so much from you about what FIT was doing, and so much so that I didn't know that FIT was a part of the sustainability front. I Man, new parts of it. But what you told us at the Biotech Leadership Summit blew my mind. So when Monica and I said, "Let's let's get you on to really talk about and dive into it," it's profound.
0: Yeah. And before we get into some of the actual examples that I know we've talked about in the past, which I hear there's some really cool, maybe new news on the wool front, the werewolf front. But tell us, because I think you made a good point, like, how did you end up at the Fashion Institute of Technology? Because I think, you know, a lot of people think it's just a bunch of chiffon and sequins, uh, (laughs) which it is. But there's some cool things that you guys are doing. So how does a chemist end up at the Fashion Institute of Technology?
2: It is true. I walked by the hallway in the lab at FIT yesterday And literally all of the students had their final bridal wear out on the mannequins. So it was absolutely all (laughs) sequins. So it was. (laughs) So it was exactly what you described. And (laughs) it can be, but I'd like you to note that that was also happening right outside and right next door to the chemistry laboratory and many of our science teaching spaces. But yeah, I'll give you a little bit of a tour kind of of how I ended up at FIT, And it is true. I actually do have both a bachelor's degree and a PhD in chemistry. And in both during that formal training and after my formal training, I really spent most of my time really interested in working at the intersection of materials design. And I want to elaborate a little bit on that, which is I really worked in laboratories and on projects where we were really looking at making functional materials and in doing that, we wanted to make things and materials that could do things. So things that happened to be magnetic, they could conduct electricity, they could emit light, etc. And we wanted to both design these systems from kind of a crystallographic and science standpoint and study them and then actually try them in device applications and see if there was a pathway forward. So in the end, a lot of the work I did was working on light emitting diodes and thin film transistors. And the deal there was that we really were looking at kind of back end materials. And these are things that have led to flexible displays, things that allow us in many cases now to not have so much dependency, for example, on hard copy paper or printing in some of those technologies as well. So it's really kind of always been an intersection thing. And we always wanted to really look at the whole system. So we spent a lot of time drawing it, mocking it up. So we spent a lot of time talking about how the system looked, what that meant to us, how did that impact its properties? Would it mean that it could or couldn't work in a device? Would it be stable? So we asked a lot of tough questions in that. But during that time, I happened to be so fortunate in that almost every environment I was at from the time I was an undergraduate through the time I actually worked at IBM, To have opportunities to bring science into classrooms at varying stages where the goal was really to collaboratively take all these really cool, fun things that made chemistry really, for lack of a better word, sexy to us. And we were like, wow, it's so cool that we can work at materials that do this. But to really kind of showcase that and like hopefully get especially younger students excited about science and to think about the fact that science one looked cool, they could do it, and to make it accessible to them. And in the end, I think I really kind of formulated this in graduate school, but I became really passionate about wanting to develop and design programming and curriculum that went at addressing and making science accessible to everybody and was really built on these amazingly cool examples. And it felt to me that these cool examples and places where people could connect science to their everyday life or to things that they were doing or already interested in was a place that we were missing from a curricular standpoint. Because at the time I joined the faculty at FIT, really the primary set of non-major science curriculum we talked about ended up being kind of junior versions of intro to chem, intro to bio, and there's nothing wrong with those. And some of those had great pieces in those courses and have been taught historically by really talented people, but there wasn't a focus on using the problem-based learning to develop it. So I viewed FIT when I actually first joined the faculty as a place to do that. I was so excited about this opportunity to go to FIT, which is part of the State University of New York It is a school that gives associate's degrees, bachelor's degrees, both Bachelor of Arts and Bachelor of Science degrees, as well as MFA, so art-based master's degrees. So it was a real opportunity to go to a place where every student was going to take science and math, for that matter. And also, they had a lot of interest in building curriculum and programming that was intersectional, that really wasn't necessarily specifically chemistry or biology. It was really looking at many of these interdisciplinary topics. They were really excited about that when I interviewed, and they have continued that commitment now for more years than I like to admit in public. (laughs) Um, But the real reason I went to FIT was to get to do this, and also specifically to get to do it for a student population that was primarily female in nature and hopefully empower them. That idea of empowerment for me was something that was certainly very important. And the numbers fluctuate slightly but approximately 85% of our student body at FIT, they're female. So it's a really unique opportunity to think about building and scaling programs and curriculum that is designed to empower and designed to give people who historically might not have had a seat at a table with engineers and scientists, a seat at that table and to allow them to really contribute and feel that they belong.
0: Do you feel like more women or young women, because of the emphasis on STEM and STEAM over the past, I would say probably, what, 10, 20 years for girls, young girls, has really changed their interest level of when they're coming in, that that they understand oh, I could do chemistry or, hey, I want to do more of an engineering. Has the focus shifted at FIT over the years because of a different kind of demand or interest level from younger women? I
2: actually want to answer that question in two parts. So first of all, our students are coming in understanding the need to really have a global perspective on the fashion industries. in a holistic standpoint, they really are coming in wanting to understand the principles of sustainability and how they will impact the things that they're specifically interested in fashion. Their commitment and their demand for that when they come to us is so different today than it was when I first came to FIT. Their knowledge of these principles, the idea that this will be part of their college experience at FIT, they are much more prepared an excited consumer of science over time. And so the thing I have seen shift is is it used to be a small handful of really both students and faculty college-wide who would say, you know what, it's really important. Some really great examples of partnerships that you are able to work on at FIT that you could do nowhere else. So early on, I actually made partnerships with people in the packaging design department. They're all about material science, you know, and initially I agreed that it would be just fine for me to come in and give a lecture on what BPA was. This was a time at which that was being talked about in all packaging. And that was, it was kind of new conceptually to them, but it was a great way to bring science into those students and talk about it in the context of their design work. So there was a lot of faculty support for that kind of work as well. And then the students would bring that experience often back to the science classroom and ask questions and ask to take more. So I think that approach in the end has led to building more curriculum that is more exciting for students and that they really want to take. Other examples were like for years, I actually still do it. I have a collection of very specific shoes in my office drawer <laughs> that are not for wearing. They're actually solely for demonstration purposes. Um, <laughs> but I worked with the accessories design footwear design and I went in and did the physics of footwear. Oh, oh really? Wow. So it Wait, was how many so... pairs of shoes do you have? And I want a photo. <laughs> no. No? No, I'm not sure these are all for photo shoes. In that class they were specifically working On the design of sneakers and athletic shoes. Okay. So while I think the shoes are exciting, I'm not sure (laughs) you really want to see the insides of all of these pairs of different sneakers that were designed in different ways. (laughs) But taking apart the carbon fiber bike shoe was really fun for those students. Yeah, that's super cool. Really, really. Yeah, exactly. super cool. And they got to think about all these material properties and what they meant and how they were used in design. Now, these were examples of early on where, you know, I was able to make a faculty to faculty connection where the faculty in these design disciplines were like, wait a second, STEAM is important even before STEAM was really a thing. Because we are really now talking close to 15 to 20 years ago. Right. You can kind of fast forward that to today. And our students are asking some of these questions. And we have now over time built a new kind of we are and continue to build a package of curriculum that puts these things and these kinds of questions in the classroom and allows students to learn basic principles in chemistry, in physics, in biology, but doing so through a lens where the curriculum was designed from the beginning to look at problems or look at specific examples. In kind of you speak we like to talk about this as problem-based learning. Uh, Even though sometimes it's more application-based learning where you're right. looking at a real problem and you're using that as the teaching vehicle, which means the line is not necessarily so straight. You might not cover all of the things in chapter one in intro cam, but you don't worry so much about that. I could keep
0: going, dig, dig, dig into that so much more. But one of the things that I'm sort of um, love that I learned is that you guys are actually implementing like a green roof that not only can be like a pollinator friendly type thing. And obviously we know how important green roofs are here from a built environment standpoint. But like, tell us a little bit about like the dye garden up there, because that was really interesting to me that you're utilizing that space for multiple Benefits and the utilization of it in general, how it works, and then sort of the bio design challenges and how people are using the color and dyeing process. We'll be right back after a quick break. Jennifer, guess what's coming up and where we get to hang out? What's
1: that, Monica? The Biophilic <laughs> Leadership Summit. It's back this March 24th through 26th. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see you in person again. It's been way too long. I know, me too. And we invite all our listeners to come
0: to this year's summit. We're going to be exploring biophilic placemaking and how we use biophilic principles to promote health, happiness, and vitality in public spaces.
1: Yes, and I was just reading over the schedule, which I'm very excited about. There are so many great speakers and panels. And when you get to join us, I'll be doing a nature walk And moderating a wonderful panel on activating community spaces with two incredible women, an architect and an urban planner. So this summit is put on by
0: the Biophilic Institute and Biophilic Cities Project. So you can also come meet all of the leading experts in biophilia. And in addition to all incredible multiple presentations, we're going to have all sorts of great farm to table meals. Plus cocktails, some book signings, and lots of networking, which is always a favorite. And it's going to be at your and my favorite place, the Inn at
1: B. Yep, that's one of my favorite places, as you know. So join us in b for the sixth annual Biophilic Leadership Summit from March twenty fourth to March 26, 2024. And you can learn more about the summit and register today at biophilicsummit.com. That's biophilicsummit.com. We hope to see you there. We'll see you soon. Bye, Jen. Bye. Yeah, it's like a teaching garden, which I think is really cool. Yeah, which is super cool.
2: Right. So for anybody who isn't familiar with FIT, it's located in basically Midtown Manhattan. The campus itself sits in between 7th and 8th Avenue at 27th Street. So it's a truly urban environment where all space matters, and that gives us a really unique opportunity to think differently about how we create a living laboratory on campus. And the college's long-term commitment to sustainability has allowed us to utilize the roof space as a living laboratory. So we have green roofs covering campus, we have beehives on campus, And we also have a natural dye garden. Now, while the green roofs are certainly used as part of the living laboratory, the natural dye garden is the place that I think the students have the most opportunity to experience it and bring that back into the classroom. So every spring we plant the dye garden, students specifically From textile development and marketing, as well as some students from our sustainability initiatives across campus will get together and with their faculty mentors, they will actually go up and they will plant this garden. Our amazing facilities team helps ensure that it gets proper water, especially over the summer. So while the students and the faculty do the primary maintenance of it, we get a lot of additional support for it campus wide from our facilities teams in that space. But students will plant it. So at that point, they're already learning and thinking and touching the soil. And I think touching the dirt is such an important portion from an educational standpoint. They already have such ownership of the process. And then they get to see as the garden starts to bloom that it becomes kind of a pollinating hub. And that supports our bees, which are already on campus, and those hives, and they are able to see the bees because we have a bee cam, which is probably one of my more favorite things. <laughs> oh, oh,
1: really? Oh, yes, we
2: have yes, we have a solar-powered bee cam. Wait, I want to put that in the show uh, notes.
0: Okay, we need a yeah. link. To, can,
2: can anybody look at that? Oh, okay, yes. We're going to
0: Oh, yes, we that. can
2: link to that. That's an amazing <laughs> um, feature. i never heard of that. <laughs> it's so fun. It's so fun to watch the bees kind of come in and out and also to watch how they experience and live in their built environment. Yeah, But the students get to see this and they do this and they maintain that garden. And then in in the fall, they actually harvest. Basically, when we come back in the fall from summer recess, the garden is in full spectacular bloom. It has, first of all, it's just visually stunning at that point. For any of the points during the year, it looks a little like you know, bedded down garden is not a embedded <laughs> down garden is not as visually stunning. You know, in February, but in the end of August, early September, the garden is just flourishing stunning. with beautiful color, and it's vibrant, and it's just really a spectacular thing that you don't even think to see on a roof in Midtown Manhattan. Yeah, I love that. And so they actually come and we'll host a day where they come and first we have a few different opportunities for them where we actually have them come and they get to just learn and talk to experts, both in the pollination component and also horticulturists who help them understand just the properties of the dye garden and how it's set up and what each of these plants need to do. And then they'll come back and they'll have a harvest for that. They'll harvest That's cool. And they will work with people who are experts in natural dyeing for how we actually help both harvest and then the right time to harvest color from the product of the garden. Mm. So they'll get to do this harvest, they get to kind of process and again, they're always touching it, which I think is such an important portion of this. And then they actually get to experiment with natural dyes. So they will make natural dyes, they will go through different processes, they'll learn that certain plants need different processes. So the first they will actually make the dyes and the dye baths, and then they'll have opportunities to dye different types of textiles, and we'll have different opportunities to explore and use natural dyes from that. And our textile development and marketing team and our textile surface design team work collaboratively together to help students who are both in their majors and in other majors get to actually see and explore this. So we'll often have students who come and help us run more campus-based workshops. Sure. That are designed on purpose to be both accessible and exciting for students. It's
1: so cool, Karen. Like to think about this, and again, in the middle of New York City, there's not a lot of green space or you know around the campus. But here you are using the roof for experience and experimental opportunities for these kids to really, like you just said, get their hands dirty. This should yeah. be an example for schools all over the country. If you guys can do it, then and everyone should be doing this. For that opportunity for kids to learn in such a unique and powerful way versus just sitting at a desk all day and taking notes. This is really the opportunity for things to, like you said, that tactileness really then sticks with you forever.
2: Well, and it's certainly a level, almost independent activity. You can create that as something where it's an opportunity for college students that has a lot of different kind of higher level academic connections, but you can yeah. also imagine one that is much more about making chemistry and biology and all of that more accessible to a K-12 student. right? So I really love that we have that opportunity to engage at different levels and also give our students, for example, at a college level, the opportunity to potentially excite a student who's younger as well.
0: Right, no, I love that. I know another one of the challenges that you guys do Is it sitting underneath the sustainability, um, that $15,000 fund that goes to challenge students, right? Is that each year during sustainability week that you guys then give out money for innovation to students? Tell us
2: a little bit about that. So actually, we give it both to students and to faculty. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So this year, we actually awarded three projects, and it does fall under the umbrella of sustainability at FIT. And under that umbrella, I think we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But that umbrella, one of our goals is to support and foster innovation and collaboration and campus engagement in sustainability. We look to both foster and fund kind of pilot or seed grant funding, typically three projects that have a budget of approximately $5,000 a piece that provide an opportunity for the FIT community to learn and engage with sustainability in different ways on campus. So So this year we actually just announced our new grants literally on Monday. Ah, Wow. (laughs) And we have three projects. One is led out by a student who has a faculty mentor and that's about recycling of textile waste on campus. Wow. Great. We have another, one of our sustainability council members and a staff member who runs the wood shop at FIT has a sustainability project that's about repurposing materials and giving students the opportunity to engage in making things from scrap pieces of wood nice. otherwise be waste. Mm-hmm. So it's really again a living laboratory and then we have a faculty member as well who received funding for their innovative project as well that looks again towards bringing both programming and engagement campus-wide for the community and these projects all have very different threads and that's part of their goal. They don't look the same, they don't do the same thing. We had a project this year that actually focused on bringing the Broadway Green Alliance to campus and talking to students, which is an amazing opportunity to have because FIT students are so interested in Broadway and the costume aspect of it the design aspects and the production. And then to bring those leaders back to campus and have them talk about the efforts they're working on to help improve and reduce the carbon footprint of Broadway as a unit was a really great opportunity. So again, we get to do some really unique projects through this and they don't look the same and that's on purpose. Right. Now
1: these projects, are they something that you choose to like source or go after, like collaboration kind of opportunities or do they around New York City
2: come to you? Like how does that all unfold or how does that happen? Oh, okay, that's a great question. So this is an internal grant fund. So it is specifically for FIT community members, faculty, staff, and students to dream up these projects and then execute them on campus. So sometimes it is about bringing in some of the community at large to campus, or sometimes it's about doing or having a specific program on campus. But these projects are all led and curated by FIT community members. Got it. And they are specifically designed to improve engagement, or that's our hope, in the pillars of sustainability from the campus as a whole. So cool. I know. So
0: one of the things, you know, obviously we're the Biophilic Solutions Podcast. And so in some of these past challenges that you've done with biodesign, I know we talked about biomimicry in person quite a bit, which is like a really founding principle of it. And I think utilizing the dye garden is one way to do that. I know you had said sometimes you can use spider webs to create stronger fiber, right? Taking from the natural world. I think, kombucha as a leather material, like you showed an example of that. Talk a little bit about some of those. I, and back to sequins again, some made with algae and seaweed, because strangely enough, sequins are like kind of a terrible plastic material. Yes, they are. And they're so tiny. They're just, you know, so if so we can tiny. create something that's biodesigned, talk a little bit about bio-based materials and design that you guys are working on, or something in the wild that we're starting to see that's practical?
2: Oh, well, there's so much that's going on kind of in a global context in this space. We are not, I think, in any way short of great examples of people and labs that are really embracing this concept in a holistic way. I think though you did allude to kind of two very specific programs that we run and champion at FIT that are very much geared towards giving students the opportunity to do new and innovative work in this. So our first opportunity is we have a course called BioDesign and students who complete that course and that explores these ideas like biomimicry and thinking about utilizing those principles towards solutions to big projects and big things. And those students have the opportunity to compete with their classmates to be the team that represents FIT at the International Biodesign Challenge. Wow. And historically, we have had teams that have actually won that challenge, which is amazing because, again, we're not a science and engineering school. We are a <laughs> right. school of business and art and design but we are utilizing those intersectional principles and our students are using those to really say, hey, wait a second. These are big global challenges. And if we look at this problem through all these different lenses, we can offer some really cool solutions. I know. So we have had teams that go on and have done amazing work in there, kind of both looking to design garments where they use algae to, in the end, extrude and spin a fiber that can then be used to knit and make clothing with, and it was made entirely from organic biologically based materials to begin with. And then therefore at end of life, it is also able to be decomposed back in there. It was never contained any toxic chemicals. It never used dyes that were harmful for the environment. It really thought about all of those different components in that others have used more protein-based solutions. And again, they're looking to say, can we study and mimic mimicry and actually make new fibers? Can we make alternatives to animal-based materials or to our synthetics or some combination thereof? that have the properties that we need them to have and also are able to be produced at scale so we can actually use them in the practical world. So a lot of times these are seed projects and sometimes biodesign projects are actually also very conceptual and they're very much about a more built environment. And for you, this, you know, the team that will represent us this year and they're into finalizing their projects. So I don't want to give too much away for it now, but when we were part of that selection process, this team had provided an alternate to the standard dollhouse that would be made out of plastic. Wow! They had designed both an entire story and system around basically a fairy house (laughs) that in the end could be planted and would potentially either grow a garden or a tree, something that could live forever. But they told such a beautiful story when they did their presentation. And they talked about the importance of not creating plastic waste, but also still having tactile things during points of child development to play with. They had done a lot of work to think about the importance of the developmental aspects of, for lack of a better word, playing in a dollhouse. And then they had done further a bit about saying, hey, look, now once you've outgrown this, it can become something else that hopefully, and this is obviously a lofty goal in many cases, but is something that can be planted and enjoyed by you or generations in the future. Yeah. So super cool. So, I mean, that's such a different example, though, than the fiber based examples, but also still looking at this idea of addressing these big global challenges. So the biodesign challenge is really looking at how do we use biomimicry? How do we use these principles? They are very much the same principles you talk about at the Biophilic Institute. And in terms of biophilic building principles, these are kind of how they transcend across multiple disciplines in that space. And so we give our students that opportunity, which I think is an amazing opportunity. I mean, I wish every student at FIT could get to participate in this class because I think it would provide them a unique Perspective, and then we have a kind of more senior level opportunity for students who want to continue to apply and consider being a Gen Space scholar, and that's the opportunity to continue and do research in conjunction with the Gen Space Laboratory in Brooklyn. Okay, and then they are able to design their own project, and in many cases, we see students who participated in this bio design course having now this really cool thing that they started to do in bio design, and they kind of made a concept about. And now they really want to get in the laboratory and do research on that specific example. And so some of the work we talked about when we were in person at the Biophilic Institute is actually some students who have taken all of those opportunities and some others and put those together in a package and now have graduated from FIT and are doing things that are wildly exciting. So do we want to talk about werewolf? We can talk a little bit about werewolf.
1: Can I ask one question though? Are you like blown away by how like these students are so excited and innovative and like, you must be, I'm thinking, I'm just maybe projecting, but like, it's gotta be really cool to be you and watching these kids get excited (laughs) about chemistry and sustainability and doing things that, first of all, like 20, 30 years ago, I would have never even considered, but it's gotta be cool. It's gonna be really cool.
2: I wanna say it is by far my biggest honor and pleasure to get to work with the students and with the faculty and with the staff and the administration that are making this happen because sure. i think it's really important to note that you are correct this level of engagement is so incredible it literally makes me want to get up every day and do more ah oh,
1: because awesome. i
2: think you know we really have a collective of people who are committed to figuring out how We're going to start to address some of these huge global challenges. And I think it's really important to note that our students are amazing. Their energy and their excitement. Yes, that's exactly why we do all this. But also the energy and excitement from the faculty and even from the administration and the staff to be part of this and to help facilitate this. Because the reality is, is none of this happens at scale if we have a few cool students and a few faculty who are working on this. This is really a much broader base. Collective, yeah. Collective, and it's supported at different levels by different people, both within the FIT community and also outside. The fashion industries are now hungry for this, and our students understand that, and our faculty understand that. It's exciting. It's so exciting. We're seeing collectives and partnerships come across that really provide us opportunity not to have what we're doing here at FIT be a one-off example, but have it be something that's actually changing the industry and changing, in some cases, how we both train and prepare students for that industry and how the industry itself does work. Yeah, it's incredible. So
0: jumping into Werewolf, which that's an FIT grad, and the design actually it's a group of FIT graduates. It's more. than That's right. That's right. Tell us about them and how that came to be, and what is it? Okay, (laughs) this was a
2: (laughs) group. I love this. This Okay, (laughs) I know it's so exciting, but this team and this group—they were part of the Bio Design Challenge initially. They had incredibly engaged faculty mentors who helped them think out of the box and think out of how we looked at things from both a design perspective in textiles and in fibers, and also a science perspective. And both faculty were really engaged in not thinking just beyond their own specific expertise, but about how that could fit in globally and who else they knew that could help this kind of go forth. So they initially helped these students and they wanted to create their biodesign original project was actually about creating a little learning kit for younger students in this space Amazing. of natural fibers. And they did the biodesign challenge. They actually won, at that point, it was the Stella McCartney Prize for Science in Biodesign the year that they did that, they named their team very nicely, Werewolf, and their logo is just ever so adorable. But the members of that team went on, they they did the Gen Space Scholars Program, they continued their research, they continued doing independent studies with multiple faculty to continue this research. They graduated from FIT and they realized that they really did have a full concept in this case. So, they in the end have incorporated and founded a company. They have received SUNY downstate funding for incubator work, which is part of some New York City initiatives to bring both industry to the New York City area and also to bring some manufacturing back to that space as well. And they just received, and I actually have it written down so I don't say it incorrectly, that the 2023 L Gala, they were the winner of the L and Polestar Design Towards Zero Award. Amazing. Wow. And Werewell was awarded that for their new technology for producing textiles that look to specifically reduce waste and not have an environmental impact. And then since then, that happened in April. They have also received just shy of $3 million in seed funding to make sure this is a reality as a company and something that we can make a viable go at having alternatives to fibers That That's incredible. And I, you know, these are students who I had in my classroom initially as young students. I can't be prouder, the faculty as a whole can't be prouder. And these are students who in the end also took advantage of a lot of the different types of curriculum we have that relate to sustainability and these principles on campus. So the people who have founded the company not only did these great work with biodesign and in Penn City, they did great work within their own majors and also minored in sustainability and ethics while they were there. And that's one of the now two minors specifically about sustainability at FIT, where students have the opportunity to take a collective of classes that focus in that area towards that. And that's, I think that's incredible. It's incredible.
0: And that's an interesting aspect. The ethics classes, as my son is going to college, he's going to, we talked about this, he's going up to Worcester to Clark university, but he's doing game design, but they have like ethics and game design. It's really interesting. Like, I don't know, as a student, I was not having ethics integrated into my curriculum. So I think it's a really great sign that universities are doing that across the country, especially as we're looking towards the future of like we know how can we ethically design whatever work we're doing and i'm thrilled that uh where we'll ended up with that seed funding that's like an incredible kudos to you guys the other one i want to hit on as we're getting close to time here is algae knit this was also i believe a design challenge international design challenge but this was
2: maybe against global campuses they won the first bio design yeah. challenge, and they were the overall winner. No kidding! Oh my
1: gosh, Karen!
2: I know <laughs> so we have wild. such a. I mean, it's so wild, but it's also so. Impressive, but not surprising because, you know, we have talked about this, but FIT's mission really does include sustainability and work towards these principles in its mission statement. It's not kind of an isolated example off the backside. This is a true commitment of the college to foster this kind of growth and innovation and design practice that involves sustainability and ethical principles and practice. Across all of our degrees, it's really a college-wide effort. But yes, Algenet formed their own company as well. They're now a bit older, a group of FIT graduates, and there might have actually also been a student who was not an FIT graduate who worked with them as well. And they now have formed a company. It's now known as Keel Labs. It just it's now really up at scale. They have research space in the Research Triangle down in North Carolina. I mean, they are literally looking at local manufacturing of materials and fibers that were based off that principle from their original design concept that was really, I can't even like think about the right word for it, but it was really innovative, you know, and it was very forward thinking at the time. And so it's so exciting to see that forward thinking aspect be rewarded for that. And if I remember correctly... They were mentored by Asta Scottier and Thean Cheros. Asta is a knitwear design specialist in our fashion design program. So she wow. really was all about having them make a material that had the properties that you could weave with it, both by hand and in the end on a machine. And Thean Sheros is a chemical physicist whose background in natural materials and solutions just goes on and on. Right. But it's so exciting to see what can happen when you make those kinds of partnerships between science and design. And they're a great example of a company now that is truly independent. And these FIT graduates have careers. They founded a company. They are still working in that space from something that they did start in the chemistry laboratory at FIT, which...
0: We'll be right back after a quick break. What's all around you, almost everywhere you look, and makes your life better? Birds. Learn all about these beautiful creatures in this wonderful new podcast called Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Two experts guide two newbies on their journey to learn more. Mallard ducks, ivory-billed woodpeckers, Hawaiian honeycreepers, blue jays, cardinals, sandhill cranes, and more. Each week we discuss a different bird and walk away with a better understanding of the birds all around us. Oh, and we have a ton of fun doing it. Listen now, you're gonna like learning about these birds. I guarantee it.
1: Well, that's the great part, Karen, is the fact that so many things prior to, I feel like now things are so siloed and what you do and FIT does really brings these interdisciplinary programs into this one opportunity to say, run with it. (laughs) What can we do? to make really cool epic things but make them sustainable, make them with a purpose, with reason and empathy and compassion for the planet. I mean, that's there's just some really interesting programs and opportunities for people to be excited about and to think about like if I was young again, <laughs> going into this field, like oh, I could also learn science and be in beauty. I can learn about science and be in fashion. Like there's so and textiles, there's it's not one or the other. It's not siloed. It's an opportunity to really have vast knowledge in so many different ways and learn.
2: Well, and I love hearing you think about it that way too. And, you know, I think the answer is any formulator in the cosmetics industry is a chemist at heart. Whether they mean to be or not, they're a chemist. Yes. But I think it also helps us see that these things do not necessarily live in isolation, they can live collaboratively and collaboratively, we can all partner together to think differently about some of these great solutions that are going to help us carve a pathway forward that is really mindful of our environments and mindful of how we're treating it and how, you know, and that takes us back to this idea of how we consume things. And for you and I to change, I mean, we may have personal commitments to how we consume things, but we also have to kind of think back further because we need different things to consume. Right. Right. And a lot of what we talked about today is about that.
0: Well, and I think one of the things that we haven't touched on is your sustainability ambassador, which is Amber Valletta. And I think she embodies all the things you're talking about. So tell us a little bit about how that works, as well as other key partnerships in the industry as we're sort of wrapping up here. I think that's super important to have people who are willing to take their, I really don't love the word celebrity, but like the high profile aspect that Amber has created for herself and really use it for good. So tell us a little bit about this as we wrap up the
2: conversation. Absolutely. Well, I think we could talk about this for a long time, but I think (laughs) Amber is a great example of somebody who, first of all, has such a strong commitment to sustainability herself and to the principles that really support the key pillars of sustainability. And she's taken on an activist role to do that in a variety of different arenas that connect and relate to her work within the fashion industries. you know She has worked within the fashion industries early on or specifically as a model in that space and has really taken and grown that role to be far expansive of just runway fashion. And right. her work at FIT and connection to the community is so integral to what's really required for us to change the conversation on campus. So she works with our sustainability conference team and helps us curate and plan and in some cases introduces us to some speakers who we might not know or might not otherwise have a personal connection to that's invaluable to bringing exciting cutting-edge leaders to campus and she herself I don't know if you had the opportunity here but she spoke at our annual conference this year she and Dana Thomas were in conversation together yes. and they both talked about their work in communicating sustainability to a broad audience in an accessible way. And they talked about it from different angles and with different vision paths. But I think that was such an embodiment of her commitment to sustainability and also her commitment to helping engage a younger audience to do that and i think her role at fit as our sustainability ambassador is to really help us get to that she has a very good handle on how we might do that and in some cases i like to say it's very different than my handle because i come at this from the end of a scientist and she comes at it from the angle of somebody who has spent a lot of time in the different areas within the fashion and creative industries and so for us to get to sit down and talk about how we might create partnerships it's key and the reality is is partnerships system wide provide great opportunity. Some partnerships are about funding and seed funding to try new things. Not everything we try works, but we have to try new things. And sometimes it's also about creating these opportunities for immersive experiences for community members who are within higher education, both faculty and students. Yeah, And I think partnerships really facilitate this.
0: Well, and that's a great way to wrap it up because I think the partnership that we started this year with biophilic solutions the biophilic institute having you come to the summit jen and i were honored to come and speak at fit with annie from credo and we're just super excited like what the future is going to hold because we definitely want to do more with fit really solidify the institute's relationship over there and then Jen and I have been talking, we really want to start interviewing some of these fabulous winners by a design. And I know Werewolf is on our radar, but definitely we're gonna to have to get Keel. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Ke Keel Yep. Keel um, also Kiel on the radar. So we get
2: Alex so, to come and talk to you all.
0: Yeah. That would be exactly,
2: great yeah. for you. Love that. Okay. Yeah. So fantastic.
0: I don't know, Karen. Thank you so much. I mean, it's been yeah. such a joy getting to know you and you're part of the family, part of the biophilic movement now. Yes,
1: Karen.
2: Yay. I'm so excited. I'm so honored to be part of this with you. It's such a pleasure always to talk to you. And I love to think about how we can collaborate both in terms of our own collaboration, but also in the big picture scenario. Yeah. And I think these collaborations are really how we're going to move forward and really solve big problems. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Okay. I thought this was so inspirational and fascinating. In the case of algae knit or key labs, I mean, it's absolutely wild to me that you can take algae and create yarn. The innovation was just really next level to me.
0: Yeah, it's pretty incredible. You know, I had the pleasure of interviewing Karen at our Biophilic Leadership Summit. And we talked through some of these examples. And after the talk, I had people coming up to me all night saying, that fit lady is so cool. (laughs)
1: She really is so cool. I'm really quite inspired by Karen's passion for utilizing science in the design context. Like she mentioned, FIT is a design-based school, and her role is to encourage students to incorporate science and scientific innovation into their projects.
0: I completely agree. I think so many universities and programs become siloed in their thinking, but FIT is such a fantastic example of amazing things that can happen when there's an emphasis on cross-disciplinary programs.
1: Well, I mean, the examples she gave in this interview and at the summit were just insane. I don't think we talked about this in the interview, but the summit, Karen showed us a picture of a faux leather that a student made using kombucha. Yeah, and it looks so real, you know, it was a bustier. It was absolutely wild. Yeah, I would love that one. So if you're interested in learning more about biodesign, definitely check out our show notes where we've linked some of the projects and companies we've talked about today. All right, talk to you soon, Jen. Bye, Monica.
0: Thanks so much for listening. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we would love for you to follow us on your favorite podcast app. Give us a five-star
1: rating and please leave us a review. It really goes such a long way towards helping us reach a wider audience and sharing these amazing interviews and solutions with the world. Absolutely. So thanks so much for following and reviewing the podcast. And we'll be back with another amazing
0: interview in two weeks. You're now a part of the biophilic movement.